Good morning. My name is Ava, and I'm going to be reading the scripture for today. The scripture is John 12, 12 through 16. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. Amen. That's the first applause I've heard after that, Ava. That was awesome. Good morning. How are we? Good. Hey, my name is Dallas. If I haven't met you, I'd love the opportunity to do that after the service. If you want to introduce yourself, I'd love to get to know you that way. Happy Palm Sunday to everybody. Enjoying Holy Week so far? Good, good. This is um, a very special day for me personally. Because it was this day last year that I was supposed to come here for the first time and speak. Uh, it was, it's also the day that I realized there's something very special going on here. Um, I called Travis Googe, one of the elders, the Friday evening before Palm Sunday. And I told him, look, I, I don't think I can make it. My dad just went under, uh, uh, had a triple bypass surgery. And he's had complications from that. Life-threatening complications, in fact. And so I don't think I should leave him during this time. And I'm convinced that it was that phone call to some degree that led to my dad being here on this Palm Sunday this morning. Um, you guys prayed. And not only did you pray, but you prayed and prayed and prayed for him. And so I had a little bit of skepticism about the local church in general. But the way you guys were the church during that time was really special to me, so this will always be a day that I remember. It's also a very special day because we are going to ordain five deacons and an elder at the end of our message, so I'm very excited. I've had this day circled for a long time. I'm so excited to ordain them here today. We've got some of the most uh, humble, self-sacrificing men going into these roles, so I'm very excited to ordain them. Again, we'll do that at the end of the message here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 12. We're going to read what Ava read for us. We were in John 12 last week, and we find ourselves here again this week. Now, when we look at Palm Sunday, it's important for us to understand the context here, that we are not to the resurrection yet. So, the authority hierarchy with the resurrection changes once and for all. But we're not there yet. And there's not an understanding of the resurrection quite yet. Now with the resurrection, the disciples go from when Jesus is uh, put into custody, they all run away. But when he's resurrected from the dead, they all willingly give their lives for the gospel. So the authority hierarchy shifts for all time. We realize that Jesus himself is life and that we don't have to preserve our lives, but we can freely give it to enter into new life that breaks the chains that we had there before. But here on Palm Sunday, we're not quite there yet. And so the Messiah that they're expecting looks a little bit different. 
They're expecting someone who is going to come and save them from pain, give them a position, and change their circumstance. That's the perception of the kingdom. But Jesus wanted so much more than just that. He wanted total liberation of the heart, the mind, and the soul that transcends all circumstance. And even psychologists today will tell you that um, even if you're not facing right now that thing that you fear, if that thing hasn't been conquered, that will always have some level of control over you. So even if you're not in the midst of it, it'll have some sort of control because you'll always be wondering, what if? Right? What if this thing comes back? What if I may be alive now, but what if death comes? Right? One of the greatest gifts I think that God has given me is about seven years ago, I went through the toughest time in my life, and I, I pleaded with God over and over, God, take it away, take it away, take it away, and he didn't. And so what he did was he actually showed in the midst of that dark time his authority and his power over it in the midst of it. And then later he took it away, but if he had just taken it away when I asked him, I would have always been left wondering, what if it comes back? What if it comes back? With the resurrection of Jesus, he conquers death. He goes straight through it. Again, psychologists will tell you today, in order for you to be liberated from fear, you've got to go straight through it. And this is what Jesus does on our behalf a week from today. He shows that the power that death had is really a crummy lordship all along. As these guys are, are, are fighting for positions and they're wanting position and they think their circumstances have to change, Jesus breaks all that power one week from today with the resurrection. So let's pick up here in John chapter 12, uh, verse 12 that Ava read for us. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the king of Israel now let's stop right here that word Hosanna simply means save us save us and then they say blessed is the king of Israel so they're saying please save us from the rule of Rome and elevate our position back to the way that it ought, ought to be but Jesus had something so much greater in mind than just that verse 14 Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So this is probably the height of the ministry of Jesus prior to the resurrection. And, and guys, if, if I'm Jesus here, I know what I'm doing. It's like, hey, I got all this momentum. You guys love these signs. Let me do some more signs. Right? This is fun, but this is the moment where Jesus says, yeah, I've got to die, I've got to lose my life so that much more life can come from it. And this is the moment where the foundation of their faith 
to this point comes unraveled. And maybe this is the point where our faith comes unraveled as well. See, they trusted God to save them, but they did not trust Him as ultimate authority. That ultimate authority or lordship went to preserving their own lives. They didn't know that Jesus had to go through death in order to break its power once and for all. So there was a desire. Yes, Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save us. But there was no desire to submit to his lordship over their lives. But today, with the resurrection, we must make Jesus our Savior and our Lord. Our Savior and our Lord. Because if we, if we aren't careful, the faith can be something like, God, bail me out when I need it. We'll say things like, Hosanna, save me from addiction. Hosanna, save me from isolation. Hosanna, save my marriage. Hosanna, heal my body. But then if he does it, we say thank you and we move on with our lives. What would it look like for us to say yes, to say Hosanna, but to also say, yes, God, my Lord, my God, I submit to your authority over my life. And if that means me giving my life so that you can bring new life, just like we talked about last week, let that kernel of wheat fall to the ground, give up ourselves so that there can be more life than yes, Jesus, I trust you, my Lord and my God. Y'all, death is no longer our master. Jesus is our master. And so we can just say, yes, Lord, as well. Now, it should be noted that God does care deeply about our circumstances. God does care about physical pain. He does care about traumas. He does care about sickness and all these things. But if our foundation is simply Hosanna and not Lord, then we have a foundation that is not going to be strong when things come in our lives. And we got to remember that what He can do for us is not the prize. He is the prize. Jesus is the prize. What does it look like for us to treat Jesus as an end and not just a means to an end? He is Hosanna and He is also Lord of our lives. Acts 10, 34 through 36, Jesus, or, uh, Peter says this. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Not simply Savior, but Lord of all question I have for us this morning, is Jesus Lord of your life here this morning? Because of the resurrection, he has made it clear that he can handle being Lord of your life here this morning. Peter goes from, yeah, Jesus is in custody, I'm out of here, to say in this in Acts 2.36, he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So that term Messiah referred to an anointed deliverer. Or another way to say it is an anointed Savior. So he says, he boldly proclaims to the people 
who killed Jesus, Jesus gives up his life, but they kill Jesus. He boldly proclaims to him, you know, the one that you uh, crucified, yeah, he is both Lord and anointed Savior, right to their face. That is the power of the resurrection. When fear controlled you because it was about life preservation, but now Jesus shows that he has authority over that, that he is life itself, then we can freely proclaim his name regardless of what consequences may come. Let's pick up here in uh, John 12, verse 34. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. Okay, so look how far we've come from verse 12 to verse 37. They, they start saying, Hosanna, in verse 12, which implies that they think that he is the Messiah, the one who is to come. And then in verse 37, they essentially say, we don't believe you. And then they go from um, the whole world going after Jesus to, in just a few days, yelling, crucify him, crucify him. How is that possible? Well, when your expectation when you go to the doctor is that the doctor is going to put a Band-Aid on you, and he's going to give you a sucker and you're going to go away, but then the doctor says, actually, we need to perform open-heart surgery, you might be a little bit resistant of that idea at first, until you realize that's the exact treatment that you need. Humanity has a habit of wanting to alleviate our symptoms while Jesus wants to eradicate the disease. See, treating the symptoms is easy. We pop a pill and we feel a little bit better, but meanwhile, we're still dying on the inside. And Jesus wants to eradicate the disease, which requires pain, and it requires an acknowledgement that we do have this disease inside of us. See, they want Jesus to save them from the pain, save them from fear, save them from Roman rule, but Jesus wants to take them right through the pain, right through the fear, and all these things so, so that they can have actual liberation. And now, you could have the perfect circumstances. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you could have the perfect circumstances and be stuck in bondage, or you could be in a jail cell and be completely free. Because the resurrection of Jesus has transcended circumstances once and for all. He says, go ahead and go through the pain. Go through the trauma. That's where healing and that's where ultimate freedom will come on the other side. Some of you uh, may remember John chapter 4 where Jesus has a conversation with the woman at the well. And he says um, he wants to give her living water. Which sounds great, Right? And she says, yes, sir, I'd, I'd love this living water. And then what does he say next? He says, go call your husband and come back. The point being, this was the hardest, most painful, maybe the biggest sin habit in her life. 
And in order to give her living water, it wasn't just this magical cup of water to drink. No, it was, let's address the deepest wounds. And in order to do that, you've got to lay it out there. And you've got to expose it so that the great surgeon can work on it and bring healing. That's where living water comes from. Going through the deepest, hardest stuff. And you may find here this morning that maybe that's something that we've withheld from him. Maybe there's um, insecurities in our faith, or maybe there's judgment, or maybe there's all kinds of different things in our faith, and we say, you know, God, I'll do a little bit more, I'll give a little bit more, I'll serve a little bit more, but I don't want to get in there to that hard stuff. But that's exactly where he wants to go. Y'all, he is the great liberator. But in order for liberation to come, you got to go through the hard stuff. In order for us to see the resurrection a week from today, we have got to see the death of Jesus. In order for us to see healing, we have got to go straight through the things that we fear most. I'd love to call the deacons up here in just a second. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But I want to leave you all with this for this portion. That a week from today, y'all... Fear is nullified. And I know that we continue to have fear at times, but I want us to realize that we don't have to fear anymore. That it is just up to us to begin to believe more and more fully that truth that Jesus has conquered it all. And I don't know how you come in this morning, but I want you to sort of really start to realize and gravitate towards that truth that Jesus has conquered it all. And now, We can be just like the disciples who went from, I'm out of here. This was great while it lasted, great teacher, all that stuff. But they're talking about killing, killing us now, so I'm gone. To Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I give you everything. Because you have authority over everything. So, deacons, Mark, if y'all will come forward, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get into ordination. Father... I pray this morning, if there's any unbelief, I pray that you will just drown that out here this morning. Father, I pray that you will help us to know you on a deeper level. Um, And Father, we do come to you because you delight in saving. So we do continue to come to you and we say, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us because you delight in saving. But we also submit to your lordship because you are Lord of all. And so Father, help us. If there are things that you're wanting us to go through, if, if there are things that that we need to give over to you this morning. I pray that you will just uh, give us a, a boldness. Holy Spirit, draw us to you this morning so we have a little bit more belief in your name because it is a great, great name. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Love to transition now to um, ordaining some of these men or all of these men who are up here. Um, love to introduce them first. This is Josh Conger. Josh is going to be a deacon with us, this is Keith Hoffman, another deacon, Dale Ridgway, another deacon, uh, Cody LaPlante, deacon, Don Dwyer, deacon, and Mark Frangioni is going to serve as an elder with us. I'd love to uh, start with Mark. Uh, Mark, you have a very important role. Your role is defined mostly by character traits, uh, with two main exceptions. One is an ability to teach or train or equip the saints for good works. And two, by a commitment to oversee the direction of the church. 
I'll read from 1 Timothy 3 about the role of an elder. It says, Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If one does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Y'all, I believe that we have picked an elder who really defines these characteristics. And Mark, here's what I want to ask from you, because I know your role is extremely important, and I want to establish... Um, the necessary accountability from all who are present today. Will you take on this role of elder with the commitment that it commands? And I want to encourage you, Mark, keep loving Terry. Keep being there. She's going to keep you in line. I know that much. But don't sacrifice your family for the local church and continue. And when you mess up, and notice I didn't say if, but when you mess up, continue to humbly own it, and move forward. Mark, we are honored to have you. Mark exemplifies these characteristics, and he brings a lot of joy to the elder room, and so we're very thankful to have you. Deacons, your role is just as important. To me, your role brings to life the leadership of Jesus as much as any role that I could think of. Jesus says in Matthew 20 that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over people, but not so with you. He says, whoever wants to become great in the kingdom of God must become a servant because the Son of Man even came not to be served, but to serve. Your role stays true to this Matthew 20 model. Let's continue to read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. It says, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. If there's there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. And y'all, I think we have picked some very fine deacons to serve in these roles. They, they have been doing it uh, on a trial basis for the past three months and um, just done an unbelievable job. So men, I want to ask you as well, will you commit to the ways of Jesus and when you mess up, will you also humbly come before him in repentance? And lastly, will you also commit to faithful service in this role before this congregation and before God. Amen. Now, church, I want to ask something from you all as well. You can respond with a simple yes, that should do just fine, or I guess, or no, if, it, if it's a no, I don't know, but hopefully not. Uh, will you commit, based on the teachings of the New Testament, 
to give both honor and accountability to these gentlemen. Now, this time, per Hebrews chapter 6, I'd love to invite the the current elders up to the front. Um, Deacons and Mark, if y'all go ahead and and kneel at the altars, I'd love to sort of officially ordain you all into the ministry uh, with the laying of hands and prayer of the current elders. And so what we'll do is the the elders will take some time to, to pray with these men. And when they're done doing that, we're going to enter into one more song together. And these men here are going to stay at the altar. So if any of you would like to come and pray with them, there will be some time to do that as well. At the end of the service, I'm going to call up the families. um, And you can congratulate them after service and pray with them as well. I'd love to pray, and then we'll continue service from there. Father. Uh, we thank you so much for these men. I pray that you'll bless them. I pray that you'll bless their families. Father, protect their families. Like, we, we don't want to make trades here. We don't, we don't want to trade family for the ministry. God, we desire for you to bless their family and bless the ministry both. Father, I pray that you will continue to stir in their hearts. I pray that you'll give them a hedge of protection from the enemy. Father, I know that the enemy doesn't like what they're doing. And so, Father, I pray... Please protect them. Continue to grow their faith. Protect their family as well during this time. Protect their hearts. Father, I pray that you'll move in them in this ministry. I pray that you'll continue to bless them in this ministry, in this church, in this community through all they're doing. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name.